Insurance and Injury Law Show. You know the number by now. And if you don't, write it down, one 990 or help at Reminder as well, Global TV starting early January. Uh, the show with Savannah, myself, and James in your corner. Again, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. starting in January on Global TV. So we're uh, we're gearing up for that and getting ready for that, uh, my brother. But we got a lot of stuff to get through today on the show. We'll get some emails, a bunch of questions. And I really wanted to start off with the week that was that this past Last week or weekend, anyway, you might have seen on the news, it was like a pinball in the streets of Toronto, about 16 or 17 pedestrians getting hit in one way or another. Some cyclists as well, and also motorcyclists are also at risk. But everyone's just getting nailed by cars, whether it's on the streets, side streets, parking lots, busy downtown core. What, uh, what do you think about all that? Uh, you know, John, that's it's unfortunate because, I mean, we're seeing this happen uh, every year. Every time mm-hmm. that the weather changes drastically, people forget how to drive, forget right. how to stay aware. And, and, you know, keep safe because it's not just the, the you know, the vehicle owners and the drivers are at fault. It's also cyclists and, and sure. pedestrians. It's everyone shares the blame, you know, for, for not making sure that uh, we're all safe. But something that people need to understand when you're dealing with uh, injuries that arise from pedestrians versus vehicles or, or vehicles versus cyclists is that the way the law looks at it is the law assumes that the vehicle is at fault. It's called a reverse onus. So, you know, if we back out for a second, if, you know, you're dealing with a, um, an accident that, uh, you know, happens often, like a rear-end collision, you know, I'm driving and somebody rear-ends me. Uh, if I start a legal claim against a driver that rear-ended me and I suffered injuries as a result, I have to prove that that driver was negligent. Now, it may seem obvious to everyone out there who's listening that that driver is obvious, but right. that, that, that they're negligent. But the point is, I have to prove that. I'm the one making the claim that I'm injured. When you're dealing with a vehicle versus a pedestrian or a vehicle versus a cyclist, it's already assumed, okay, the law already assumes that the uh, vehicle driver is at fault. So now what's left uh, to prove in most of these cases are the injuries and the severity of those injuries. And, you know, of course, we tell people, you can give us a call if, if you need, you know, to speak with us and, and, you know, to get some advice to understand what your legal rights are. But... In this season, especially as we're heading into winter, people should be very vigilant. And if you are injured as a result of someone else's negligence, you should know what you are allowed to claim under the law, not just against the other driver, but with respect to your own insurance company. Remember, if if, if you are struck by a vehicle, even if you do not have automobile insurance, you are entitled to claim certain automobile uh, insurance benefits, accident benefits, from the insurance company of the car that struck you. So that's very important to understand because you may not be able to work. You may need uh, rehabilitation services. Somebody's going to have to pay for all of that. Right. So if you need that information, obviously give us a call, but make sure that you do take action uh, because it's going to affect you know, your, your, your financial future and it's going to affect, obviously, your health. Yeah, I think it's it, uh, probably no coincidence, like you said off the top, that the uh, clocks went back and everyone, you know, yes. the hour sleep changed and it started getting darker earlier. So I'm sure that was all contributor, like you said. It, it all contributes. The weather, time. absolutely. Yeah. The weather, lack of sleep, 100%. And we see this year after year after year. The number, by the way, one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six, or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. What else, uh, what else you got going on, on your side? Okay, so John, so I have here a question that was posted to one of our free websites, mydisabilityquestions.com, and this one comes from Eric uh, somewhere uh, around the Ottawa area, and here's what he writes. He's asking, can an insurer insist that I return to the exact same job that was the major contributor to my diagnosed severe anxiety disorder? 
So presumably this person is on long-term disability and the insurance company is putting the squeeze on him and telling him he has to go back to work. The answer is, the technical answer is, no, of course the insurance company cannot force you to go back to work. But what insurance companies often do, what adjusters often do, they'll tell you, uh, we think that you're able to go back to work and that may be in contravention of whatever your doctors are telling you. And you may disagree, of course, and your doctors may disagree, but the insurance company may say, we think you should be able to go back to work and therefore we are going to cut you off benefits. And, you know, this is where usually we come in. You should not wait until you're cut off because in some cases we can actually, you know, get in the middle, speak with the insurance company and avert the cutoff. In other situations, if the insurance company is just being difficult and they're being dumb and they cut you off, well, we can spring into action and we can take, you know, we take the fight to them. We start a legal claim against them and we bring them to the table and we make sure that they pay these individuals what they're owed under the law. But the actual answer, the technical answer is, of course, they can't force you to go back to work, but they won't tell you that they're going to come to your house and force you. They'll just tell you they'll cut you off. And if that happens, make sure you give us a call so that you know what your legal rights are. Remember, it costs you absolutely nothing to speak with us. Will insurance companies make that sort of move even if you have documentation from your medical professional saying it's not going to happen? They'll still do it, won't they? Yeah, they may. They may do that. And, and you know, we have a lot of people that contact us after their doctors. And I'm not just talking about family doctors. I'm talking about specialists. Uh, you know, you have psychologists, psychiatrists, cardiologists, orthopedic right. surgeons. You know, these individuals who are treating these disabled persons, writing in letters to the insurance company saying this person is not ready to go back to work. And yet the insurance company will say, we don't care, we're going to cut you off. And why do they do that, John? We've talked about this endlessly. Because they know that a huge number of people out there will simply not stand up for their rights, and they will walk away from money that is rightfully owed to them. The number is one 9646 Get a hold of Savannah himself. James, a member of the team as well. You can use that number. And the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Just getting warmed up. Lots more to go here. Stick around. More insurance and injury law show right here on Global News Radio. The insurance and injury law show. When we are not uh, doing this show on air, of course, you can get a hold of Savannah and a member of his team. No problem. one 9646 or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And a reminder as well, early January of next year, which is uh, creeping close. It's really getting close. January 2019, we'll get into In Your Corner. That is this show basically taken to television on global TV. And that will be Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. In Your Corner. Looking forward to that early in the new year. But uh, back to what we were talking about before. More uh, cases, more uh, stories. Week that was on your side, Savannah. What's going on? John, before I go into the next case, I actually yep. want to say thank you. Uh, a big, big thank you to so many individuals out there who have referred people uh, to us uh, for us to help, whether it's on the disability side or the employment side. I can't tell you, John, how many people come to us because individuals who've listened to this show, to Lior's show, and other clients, people that we've helped, uh, who were so happy, who obviously went to their friends and family members who were in need of help and told them to contact us, and we were able to help them. And, and you know, if you if you Google us and you go uh, on, on Google reviews and you take a look, I mean, you'll see some testimonials. So that's very important, and we're very proud of what we've been able to accomplish and, uh, you know, the help we've been able to give so many people out there. Uh, it, it's been phenomenal. That's extremely rewarding when we hear from someone who tells us that we've actually made a difference in their lives, in the lives of their families. Right. So, so I just wanted to, to get this off my chest. Now, uh, I, I, got, I got an email from this gentleman. Uh, he is uh, a 39-year-old project manager 
has, has been working uh, for his employer for about six years. And uh, he, he, here's what he writes. Uh, he says, I'm on medical leave for severe depression and an eating disorder. The insurance company keeps denying my claim. I've appealed, and it's been three weeks since I submitted my last appeal. I haven't been paid since July 30th, 2018. I feel like I'm trapped in the middle. Work won't let me return until my doctor clears me to return. My doctor doesn't feel I'm ready, so he won't clear me. And the insurance company keeps denying my claim. I'm not sure what to do at this point. Again, John, not unusual. Um, you know, people feel like they're trapped, like they have absolutely no options, where this person actually took the step of contacting us. And I've answered this person, and, and let me give you the answer that I gave him uh, on air. First of all, when your doctor tells you that you are too sick to work, you should listen to your doctor. You should have that discussion with your doctor, obviously. If you disagree with your doctor, you should be speaking with him or with her. Right. But if you feel you cannot work because of a disability, be it psychological, mental, whatever, physical combination, it doesn't matter. If you feel you cannot work and your doctors are saying you cannot work, your insurance company should listen. But they don't listen. They don't listen because they know that the majority of people out there, again, will walk away from their rights, thinking that insurance, company, insurance companies are omnipotent, that they're invulnerable. And again, John, you know, I keep saying this. I've worked for insurance companies. That's how I started my career in law. I've defended them. They are not interested in legal battles. Very rarely do they take these cases to court for a very simple reason. It's too expensive. As soon as, as, soon as we start a legal claim for a legitimate claimant, someone who should not have been cut off disability, internally within the insurance company, the case moves over to a litigation adjuster. Mm-hmm. There is a defense lawyer that's appointed even if it's one in-house that works for the insurance company. The insurance company is now in a legal battle. They are locked in this battle. They are now bleeding money. They're not interested in resolving that case. Uh, sorry, they're not interested in taking the case all the way to court. They're not. Oh, you bet. Uh, they're interested in resolving. And so when I used to work for insurance companies, again, my mandate wasn't to fight this to the end. My mandate from the insurance company that was my client was to resolve the case, to pay as little as possible, as quickly as possible. And of course, we would know the lawyers on the other side who would be fighting the fight and the lawyers out there who would be selling their clients out. Uh-huh. Now, this individual here who wrote to us, who says that he feels trapped, who has this eating disorder, who has these doctors who are saying he cannot go back to work, who hasn't been paid since July of this year. Just imagine, John, what it's like not to have no any kidding. money coming in to you and your family. He appealed the denials and surprise, surprise, has been denied. And we talk about that often. Don't appeal these denials. When we see a case like this that is legitimate, and I say legitimate because some people out there are trying to scam the system. So we make sure that when we are interviewing a potential client and speaking with them, we want to make sure that they are telling us the truth. Once we are certain of that, we gather all the necessary documentation and we start a legal claim against the insurance company. And again, that process begins on the other side. The insurance company has a lawyer appointed, and guess what? Mm -hmm. They try to resolve the case with us. It may not happen in a month, may not happen in three months, may happen in six months or a year. But guess what? If you went through the appeal process and went through three appeals, that could take you two years to actually go through that. Then you're out of time. You could be out of time, right. You only have two years to start a a legal claim from the first time you were denied. So, you know, the process or the best way to force an insurance company to pay you what you're owed is starting a legal claim against them. But you have to have the know-how. You have to have the expertise to be able to take the fight to them. 
Because once you do, their tune changes. They are now, as soon as that happens, are no longer trying to avoid you. They are now trying to engage you in right. settlement discussions. That's that's the secret. That's the magic. And if more people out there understood that, they would not be, again, walking away from money that's owed legitimately to them and their families. You know, it's funny. You mentioned walking away. And when you worked on the other side for the insurance companies, you must have, like, facepalmed yourself constantly going, oh, man, why don't you people fight? There's money here on the table. You're not there. But you couldn't say anything. You're working for the insurance company. But you must have thought, oh, my gosh, what these people, if they only knew that the insurance company would play ball and come and pay up. You wouldn't have to turtle and walk away, right? Yeah, you got it. And you know, when I came to the office, when I was working as an insurance lawyer and I got a claim on my desk, I would be looking for a few things. Uh, first off, I'd be looking at you know the type of injuries or disabilities that I'm dealing with. Right. And I'd be looking to see if there is a lawyer representing this individual, because if there is no lawyer representing this individual, well, then immediately I'm thinking that I have now the edge, right? Because sure. this is what I, what I do for a living. As soon as they hire a lawyer, then I start looking. Uh, I look at the name of the lawyer and the law <laughs> yeah. firm and start gauging, is this a serious law firm or not? Right. And you know, despite the fact that you know, whether we are dealing in a Toronto court or in Ottawa or Windsor or in BC where, where you know, we have an office there, despite the fact that we're dealing with potentially millions of people and tons of lawyers out there, it's a very small community for us lawyers who deal in this industry. And we know which lawyers and which law firms are serious and which ones are not. And guess what? Insurance companies also have that information. We'll take a short break. Contact is simple, one 990 and help at ca. We'll get to that and uh, lots more here in your emails as well as we continue the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio. The number to contact Savan and the team, one 990 Also, help at ca is the email address starting in January. Again, it's going to be a... To the TV cameras we go, as In Your Corner will be airing on Global Sunday mornings at 8.30 uh, early in January. So I know we're looking forward to that, you, myself, and James, getting that going. And getting a whole new TV audience and making them aware of the world of, uh, you know, injury and insurance and enlightening people like we have been so far and so long in this radio show as well. Uh, you got one more thing to talk about before we get some questions, yeah? Yeah, there's one more uh, case that I want to speak about. Uh, because it talks to that uh, two-year mark that we often talk about in LTD claims. So this is an individual. He's 59 years old. He's a salesperson. And uh, he left work uh, on disability back in May of 2016. First, he went on short-term disability and then on LTD, long-term disability, in November of 2016. Uh, And he was cut off uh, at the two-year mark, November of this year, 2018. His insurance company as the reason for cutoff, says that his medical information that he's provided does not support him uh, being off work beyond the two-year mark. Now, let's get some background. This gentleman is unable to work because of complications from heart surgery, Mm -hmm. as well as an injury to his right arm. He tore some ligaments, as well as a breathing disorder, some kind of a respiratory issue that they're having difficulty diagnose. So just imagine that, John. You're having somebody who's 59 years old, who's having a breathing disorder, can't breathe properly, can't have his right arm function properly, and has complications from heart surgery. Now, let's explain to our listeners what happens at the two-year mark. To qualify for long-term disability, for the first two years, the test or the criteria is whether or not you can do your own job. Mm -hmm. It's called the own occupation test. Can you do your own occupation, or are you disabled from doing it? Okay, most people 
when they apply for LTD, they can satisfy that test. Beyond the two-year mark, the test broadens. Now the question is no longer can you do your own job, your own occupation. Now the test is can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. Okay. So as you can imagine, it's, it's a more difficult test to meet. No longer can you do your own job. Can you do any job for which you're suited for? So let's go back to this gentleman here. The insurance company is cutting him off after the two-year mark, saying, we think you can retrain into a different line of work. We think you can do something different. This is a 59-year-old gentleman who's been doing sales for a long time, yep. who has complications from heart surgery, who can't move his right arm properly, and who has breathing difficulties. I don't have to see or look at any medical documentation. Just taking this at face value, assuming this is all accurate, how can the insurance company possibly say this individual can be hired to do another job and earn the same amount of money that he earned doing sales all the years that he's been doing? It's just, it's insane. Now, to boot, his family doctor and his cardiologist and other specialists are all saying, and they've written reports stating this person is disabled from going back to any kind of job for the foreseeable future. But the insurance company, of course, as many of them do, cuts him off, tells him, good luck, we think he can retrain. But this person, what he did is he contacted us. So we're going to be able to, res- you know, to resolve his claim. We're going to be able to make sure that the insurance company pays him what he's owed. But he could have done what many other people have done, which is try to appeal this endlessly, probably get nowhere, potentially miss that two-year uh, limitation period for starting legal claims. Remember, if you don't start a legal claim against the insurance company within the two years, that two-year window from the time they first denied you, you're out of luck. You can no longer make a legal claim. You can no longer start a legal process to force the insurance company to give you that money that's owed to you under the law. And when you appeal, it does not reset the clock. It does not reset the clock, right. which is yeah. why you know sometimes people come to us and they are just over that two-year mark, and we have to look at them and say, look, you know, there are some exceptions to that two-year limitation period, but those, you know, th- those exceptions are very rare. It's very, very difficult to get beyond that, and for a reason, right? Because courts want consistency, and they want to make sure that people understand that you know they can't wait endlessly to start these claims. So, you know, very important to understand, if you are facing an insurance company that's not listening to you, not listening to your doctors, you have to get legal advice. You have to make sure that you are informed. Once you are informed, it's up to you. You want to start a claim. You don't want to start a claim. You want to hire us. You don't want to hire us. It it doesn't matter to me as long as I know, I know that you have the information you need to make that decision. Tell me a little bit about uh, fightformyltd.com. So that's a free website also that we've created. And, uh, you know, some people, John, uh, are, are still intimidated of, you know, they're intimidated of, of, of you know, calling a lawyer or emailing For a sure. lawyer. And yeah. I, I understand that. I mean, you know, with everything you see out there in the news and, and the movies, you know, we're easygoing guys uh, and, and men and women at the firm. Uh, but some people just want to go to a website and get the answers, uh, you know, t- to help them make a decision. And so fightformyltd.com was built to allow people to simply go onto that website, get, mm-hmm. get some basic information about disability claims, and answer five simple questions uh, that will take you literally about 10, 15 seconds to, to answer. Click submit. I get that email. And then I can tell you within literally a few minutes if I think you have a case or not against the insurance company. And not every submission that comes to me, I think that there is a case. You know, sometimes the insurance company is correct in cutting mm-hmm. someone off. But if you want to get that quick answer, you can go to that website, fill in that five-question questionnaire, 
Uh, and, uh, and we will tell you fairly quickly online if, in fact, we think you have a case that uh, you should pursue. We'll uh, take a short break, guys. The number to contact, one 990 or help at the want to talk about uh, your past days working for insurance companies and the mistakes that plaintiff lawyers made back then. This is interesting stuff. We'll get to that after a, a quick one here. Stand by. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Help at the insurance Early January, it is in your corner. That is basically a televised version of this show. It'll be on Global TV with uh, myself and Savan and James taken to the uh, the TV airways as of January of two thousand nineteen. You'll see that Sundays at eight thirty a.m. on uh, on Global TV. You know, you mentioned uh, used to work for insurance companies. We talked about it a couple segments ago here. Uh, that was in a. A different life before you started your own firm on the other side. Tell us uh, some of the mistakes you saw plaintiff lawyers make when you were defending claims. Oh boy, I saw quite a few. Um, <laughs> you know, I also came across phenomenal lawyers, and yeah. uh, you know, really had to have yeah, my, my guard up. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I will tell you this, uh, it, just as a, as a backdrop. Whenever we get a claim as as defense lawyers, uh, and any defense lawyer listening would would be nodding here. They have to do. Um, um, reporting to the insurance company on a regular basis. Anytime they get a new document about the case, whether it's a medical document, a financial document, any document, they have to then report to the insurance company, to the adjuster that's handling the file. And with every one of those reports, or almost every one of those reports, the lawyer then uh, amends their assessment of the case. And what I mean by that is, they will tell the insurance company what they think is the likelihood of success by the plaintiff if this case were to go to court. And then they tell the insurance company, at least I used to tell the insurance company, here's how much money you have to put on reserve to try and settle the file down the road. So whether you're dealing with an injury claim, you know, we started the show by talking about pedestrians hit by by vehicles, cyclists, or whether you're dealing with a disability case, as soon as there is a legal claim that gets started against an insurance company, that insurance company actually puts money aside or at least in their computers, there's money allocated to wow. resolving that claim. And the lawyers, the defense lawyers, such as how I used to uh, work and, and defend them, uh, we would be telling the insurance company, here's what we think you should put aside to resolve the claim, $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars, whatever. Mm-hmm. Whether the insurance company put that money aside or not, it's a different story, right. but they would often rely on the lawyers to assess and to give them this estimation of what it would take to resolve the case. So that's very important to understand. And it's important because I'm going to tell you the top five mistakes that I usually, uh, that I used to see plaintiff lawyers make. Not every lawyer, of course. Like I said before, some lawyers were just phenomenal and, and very, very good opponents. But some of the uh, less worthy uh, lawyers <laughs> or opponents uh, would make the following mistakes. Number one, uh, they would fail to start a legal claim in a timely manner. So sometimes they would miss crucial deadlines. Sometimes they would actually wait and issue a claim beyond the two-year limitation period. Yeah, that's Think about that. They started the claim, but it's three years after the fact, after the accident. And, and you know, I'm talking about cases where these lawyers were contacted within days or weeks after the accident, but they just waited and waited until the limitation period expired. And, of course, you can imagine once that happens, the insurance company becomes very bullish. And, frankly, I was very bullish when I was dealing with claims like that. And I would tell the other lawyer, we're going to pay you absolutely zero dollars because you're going to fail at court because you forgot or you did not, for whatever reason, start a claim in a timely manner. Wow. That's number one. 
Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I should mention, I'm not going to mention any names, but we just recently at our office, uh, literally within the last couple of months, took over a claim on behalf of a claimant where they had hired a law firm that advertises quite prominently mm, right. uh, throughout the province, and, and that law firm uh, failed to start a claim in a timely manner. So now we have a claim against that law firm for negligence. Oh gosh. I hate doing that, but in this case, I think it's warranted. Okay, number two. Some lawyers fail to understand what to claim for and for how much. I remember defending a claim for the insurance company where it was clear to me early on that the plaintiff suffered a brain injury as a result of the accident. And yet the lawyer that had prepared the claim, although I'm not even sure if it's the lawyer who prepared it, it could have been somebody else at the office, did not even state in the claim that there was a brain injury. I mean, just imagine, and you know, I, I, I had mentioned this before that as a defense lawyer, I'm looking at a claim on my desk. I'm telling the insurance company how much money to put aside to resolve the claim. Yep. If the claim doesn't say that there is a brain injury, well, then I'm going to tell my insurance client to put less money aside For to sure. resolve the claim. If I see that it says brain injury and there's some particulars about that, in other words, there are some facts that are pleaded, then I'm going to tell the insurance company put a lot more money in reserve to try and resolve the claim. So you can understand how not stating that this individual suffered these severe injuries would affect the way that the insurance company views the case Yep. And, and how they would think that they would have to pay less eventually to resolve it. Number three, lack of preparation at crucial points in the claim. I was, uh, I remember this one case where I had defended, uh, it wasn't an insurance company, it was a retailer. It was a slip and fall case. And we went to a discovery, which is where I get to ask questions of the plaintiff about how the accident happened and their injuries. Yep. And their lawyer, that person's lawyer, instead of listening to the questions I was posing and seeing if he needs to object to any one of them, uh, instead of that, he pulled up a, a newspaper and started reading the newspaper in my presence and in the presence of his client. So first of all, I thought it was very disrespectful to his client, but secondly, he's not listening to my questions and even more importantly, to his client's answers. So again, you know, this is serious stuff. And, and you want to make sure that if you have a lawyer, a law firm that's representing you, that they know what they're doing and they're not just treating this like, you know, just another, you know, an, an, another day, another case. No, this is a case that could potentially have, have major, major impact on your life and, and your family's life. Uh, the last couple of points I want to mention, yeah. some lawyers don't understand that uh, appearances matter. And you know, you have to project a certain force to the insurance company. The insurance company has to believe that you are ready to take the case all the way to the end, to court if necessary. That's not to say that these cases often get to court. They don't. But if the insurance company does not believe that you have the means, the ability, the expertise, and the willingness to take the fight all the way to the end, they are going to treat your case less seriously. Huh. And that's just a fact. Right, because ultimately, it, it, there is a chess game that's going on here. There's also a poker game that's going on here, and if they think you're going to fold at the last minute, then they're going to put aside a lot less money in reserve to settle your claim. It's just a fact. The last thing, and this is this really broke my heart on on a few occasions. And again, listen, I was working for insurance companies, so I had a job to do. But I would settle cases on behalf of my insurance clients for less money than I thought the plaintiff deserved. And that wasn't my fault. I was doing my job. Yeah. I, I was working for the insurance company, well, yeah. but I understood that the plaintiff lawyer that I was up against was selling their client 
uh, out. They were entering into settlements that are for significantly less money than what the claim was worth. And that's because the plaintiff went to the wrong lawyer, to the wrong law firm. And again, let, let me just conclude this by saying that even though I had seen lawyers and law firms make these kinds of mistakes, our firm by no means is the only firm that doesn't make these mistakes or, or the, the only firm that, that you know makes sure that we provide top-notch service. There are other firms out there uh, that do this. But you as the individual who's seeking legal help, you have to do your research no different than when you get a contractor to work on your house, no different than you know if you need a doctor to do surgery on you yeah. or get a dentist. You know There are professionals and there are non-professionals out there, and it's up to you to do the research to make sure you get someone who can help you. Good place to start is with a phone call. That's uh, that's real simple to get a hold of Savan or the team. As mentioned, one 990 9646 or help at the Still some time to go here. You want to email in, ask your questions. We'll get to a few of those after we uh, we take a short break here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio. one 990 9646 or help at the Those are two good ways to uh, contact Savan anytime. And uh, there'll be another way to uh, to see Savan actually coming up in January of 2019, early in the new year. Uh, the TV show will be on the air, a televised version basically of this show called In Your Corner. That'll be on Global TV as of January 2019, Sundays at 8.30am. In the meantime, you can email. Uh, we'll get to one here, Savan, from, from, uh, from Darren. Darren says, I've been denied long-term disability twice, and I went to a lawyer who told me that if I was denied repeatedly by the insurance company, then obviously there's a problem with my case and they can't help. I don't get it. I have an asthmatic disease that is progressive and I have a very difficult uh, time breathing. I get out of bed rarely now. I'm 58 and I've been on experimental medication called Nicola uh, that isn't really working. I don't know what to do. I'm already getting CPP disability. That is brutal. It is brutal. And you know, Darren, what strikes me about this uh, situation about your email is that the lawyer you went to is telling you that if you were denied repeatedly by the insurance company, obviously there is a problem with your case and they can't help you. Well, if the insurance company approved your case, then you wouldn't have gone to a lawyer in the first place. <laughs> right. So what, what, is he, what is that lawyer looking for? He's looking for a case that he can't help because the insurance company approved the individual? Makes no sense. And by the way, uh, I, I, I had actually um, uh, finished uh, a, a very serious uh, respiratory illness case uh, in, in Kitchener earlier this year, so I'm very familiar with uh, the Nucala medication and, and just uh, th- these kinds of issues. And I can tell you, John, respiratory illnesses, I mean, those are some of the toughest illnesses to battle. I mean, right. you literally feel like you're drowning. Uh, very, very tough, very, very difficult. Now, Darren, you're saying you're on CPP disability, which is not easy to get. I mean, to get CPP disability, you have to demonstrate to the government that your illness, your disability is uh, prolonged and severe. And a lot of people get up, you know, they get rejected the first time around. They, they have to, uh, you know, have to reapply or, or appeal those kinds of, uh, of, of, of denials. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, again, on, on reading your email without even looking at the documentation, I can't imagine how the insurance company is going to succeed here in their denial. If you have a severe asthmatic disease and it's progressive, meaning it's getting worse, so you have more and more difficulty breathing, and if you're on Nucala, which is up until recently, I'm not sure if it still is, but it was an experimental medication, I can't imagine how we're not going to successfully force the insurance company to pay you what you are owed. It's unfortunate uh, that you had tried to appeal those uh, denials uh, because we lost some time, uh, you know, John, oftentimes people come to me six months, a year after 
being first denied, uh, having failed at uh, and rejected um, at one, two, or three appeals, and we right. tell them, you know, had you come to us at the beginning when you were first denied, or or when you first told that you were going to be denied, because remember, you're not just cut off, you know, willy nilly. You're just you're told in advance that you're going to get yep. cut off. We could have probably resolved your claim by the time you know you would have tried to appeal the second time. So, you know, all that happened here is that we lost about a year worth of time in resolving the case for you. Uh, So, Darren, it's great that you reached out to us. Uh, We should uh, get in touch off air. We can definitely help you. This is not going to be a difficult case to resolve. I can tell you that now. Darren, you know the email because that's how you contacted us, but the number just in case, one 990 You know, we talk all the time about mitigation, and that's a word often discussed, but you know, it's still a mystery to many listeners and people struggling after an accident with long-term disability claims. What is it, and why is it so important? Mitigation is a very important word. Uh, it, it's, it's a legal term of art, and what it means is that you have an obligation under the law to try and get better to lessen your injuries or your losses. Uh, so you can have ver- various contexts uh, to that. So for example, let's say you're injured in an accident, you have an obligation to try and get rehab, to try and, and right. to follow your doctor's recommendations to the extent that they're helpful to you. Um, you know, you can't simply sit on a couch and say, well, you know, I was injured and I'm not interested in doing any physio, I'm not interested in trying to get back into the workforce, I'm not in- interested in doing anything to lessen the impact of the accident on me, whether that's financial impact, uh, physical impact, psychological, etc., You have an obligation to follow doctor's recommendations and when possible to try and return back to work. Now, in the context of what we discussed in the last segment, uh, John, when I talked about the mistakes that other lawyers, that I saw other lawyers make when I was working for insurance companies, one of the other um, mistakes that I saw them making is, you know, some lawyers out there um, and they have a reputation for this, they will tell their clients not to try and get better or not to go back to work when they can. That is absolute nonsense. It's unethical, it's immoral, and guess what? Lawyers like myself working for the insurance company will see right through that. And we will target those plaintiffs and we will target those lawyers. So when I opened my firm and we started working with individuals and helping individuals who've been injured, uh, or who, have, who are disabled and have been cut off disability, our approach is exactly the opposite. It's to tell people that they have an obligation to try and get better because insurance companies are going to demand proof. They're going to want to see your doctor's records. They're going to want to make sure that, you know, if you're claiming that you have a depressive disorder and you have a psychologist or a psychiatrist, if they're prescribing medications, you need to take those medications. Again, assuming that those medications are helpful. Right. I mean, if right. they are causing side effects, then you can discuss other types of medications. But, you know, if you are missing treatments repeatedly for no reason, again, that's going to make it a problem for you to recover from the insurance company. Because if this ever goes to court, a judge will ask, why is it that you did not try and get better? Yeah. So that's what mitigation is. It's your obligation under the law to try and lessen the impact of your disability or your injury. That's, that's, it's key. It's absolutely key. And by the way, it's no different than in an employment context, right, John? I mean, Lior talks about that. If you lose your job, you have an obligation to try and find other work. You can't simply start a legal claim and then sit on the couch waiting for a settlement. You have to show that you are trying to find other work and you simply have to show reasonable efforts. So that's what mitigation is. And it's very important. And it's something that we talk about with our clients repeatedly and make sure that they understand. 
Still a few minutes to go. We'll take a, a break first, though. Uh, the number to get a hold of the team, one 990 9646 and help at the Stand by. More insurance and injury law show on the way. Global News Radio. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. That's the number. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca is the email. And uh, you want to wait till we'll not wait, but to look forward to January of 2019, early next year, as we uh, go to Global TV with In Your Corner, a televised version of this radio show, basically. And that'll be happening on Sundays at 8 30 a.m. Sean, next email up. We'll get to this one while we still got a few minutes here. He says, uh, My girlfriend was denied long term disability. Because apparently she didn't have enough medical information submitted. Here are the facts. She's 47 years old, works as a cop, and suffers from PTSD because of a shooting she was involved in a year and a half ago. Her psychologist says that she needs time off indefinitely at this point, and she's on medications and a weekly therapy. Uh, The insurance company wrote to uh, her saying that unless a psychiatrist says that she can't work, she won't qualify. They won't tell her why they need a psychiatrist. Uh, or won't accept her treating psychologist's opinion. Should she get a psychiatrist involved at this point? Well, Sean, first of all, thank you very much for contacting us. And, you know, John, we we get a lot of people contacting us on behalf of friends and family members, particularly when you're dealing with with a mental health issue, which is something insurance companies uh, still haven't, you know, caught up on on the severity of, uh, and, and, you know, they're slowly being educated on that. Uh, Sean, the answer is this, uh, no. She does not have to get a psychiatrist if she has a psychologist that is saying that she's unable to work. I have yet to see a policy, a long-term disability policy, that stipulates that for a mental health disorder, you have to see a psychiatrist. And, you know, there are a variety of differences between psychiatrists and psychologists, but psychiatrists are doctors, they're MDs. Mm -hmm. But you know what? There are a lot of psychologists out there who specialize in PTSD, uh, and I have clients who have been in the military uh, or, or have worked in other types of industries like policing or being a paramedic, firefighting, things like that, extremely stressful types of jobs. Uh, and you know what? They It takes a toll. It takes a toll. And for the insurance company to be demanding of her going to a psychiatrist when there is a psychologist that's helping her, in my mind, that's unreasonable. It's nonsense. And there is no reason for it. I think it's one of those instances where the insurance company is essentially latching on to an unreasonable request uh, and saying, if you don't do this, and they're hoping she won't do that, then they'll cut her off. And the next step is they're hoping that if she uh, gets cut off, she's not going to be in a position, she's too vulnerable to fight back. And again, that's something that we see quite often. Insurance companies take advantage of vulnerabilities, people in situations where they can't fight back. And in fact, those cutoffs and how they're treating these individuals is aggravating the the symptoms and and the disabilities that these people are experiencing. And I get contacted by psychologists and 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 uh, you know a variety of people out there, practitioners in the field, who who feel like you know the reports that they're providing the insurance companies that they're just being ignored. And the reality is, insurance companies in many instances do ignore what those professionals are saying. And they ignore, not because they disagree necessarily with what those practitioners are saying, but because they know that there is no one on the other side to fight them. They know that if they cut this person off and this person walks away, they may have saved for themselves, the insurance company, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which otherwise would be owed to this individual and their family. So, you know, Sean, my advice is uh, to, 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 you know, get in touch with me after the show, uh, I want to take a look at the actual uh, disability policy because remember, 
long-term disability, uh, those kinds of claims, we always have to look at the policy wording. We have to make sure that if the insurance company says, here's what you need to do, I want to see where the policy actually states that. They can't force you to do something unless the policy actually stipulates that you have to do it. It's a contractual relationship. So we have to go to the contract. Uh, And once I do that, and once I look at the medical documentation, and once I look at the denial letter, I can tell you, Sean, and your girlfriend, literally within minutes, if she has a case against the insurance company. But based on what you've given us here, I can tell you she does, and I can tell you the insurance company is going to be very interested in resolving the case very, very quickly. It's a good way to wrap it for today. Thank you, Sean, and your emails as well. You need to contact Savan now that we're uh, we're done for this particular hour. Uh, the fee, the phone number rather one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Reminder: uh, early January. Uh, I've said it all show, and I'm going to keep saying it. Each week, we're on until it starts to happen. That is early January of 2019. Taking the show to TV, it'll be on global TV called In Your Corner. And you'll start catching us as of uh, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. on your weekend. Till next time, this has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio.